everyone. Welcome to episode 313 of This Is Whole Life. And as always, I say it every week leading up to it. I say it for weeks afterwards, but this is absolutely my favorite annual series that we do because I get to meet new people, you get to meet new people, and they get to tell us their side of the story, which is always... Well, it's often more interesting than otherwise we might hear the same story told by ourselves, uh, similar stories that we might have. And it adds some context. And, you know, the person you see across the lobby or you see them sit in this place and you think, oh, they're they're pretty cool. They must have a great story. And now we get to hear a few of those. And so this week, we every once in a while we have a repeat, but this is a first timer. And you will know her. She's been a longtime Whole Life Church member, and it's Gina Creek. Welcome to the show. Hi, Randy. Thanks so much. I'm well, thanks. And it's Monday. It's Memorial Day, <laughs> and we are here. This is dedication. This it's is commitment. This I was is just commitment. at the beach this morning. Were so, you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I had enough. Uh, I was at Pathfinder. Red zone. Oh, that's right. And red zone apparently stands for it's hotter than the hinges <laughs> of so the hot. lowest, hottest place on earth. And our, when we pulled in and they said, "Where? Uh, what, what group are you with? And we're like, Orlando City. And they're like, oh, great. We're so excited what you're doing with your club. And oh, by the way, your tents oh, no. are on the airstrip. Oh, no. And you're like. There's no shade there. There's no shade. <laughs> and they cut the airstrip in the path such as the natural wind flow does not go that way. Oh, man. So it's just this stagnant, hot, and yesterday, the adults are trying to help the kids learn how to fold the tents. This is the only second time they've been out in the tents. Fold them. Make sure you got all those takes tents. Uh, anyway, I'm burnt. And then we went to the Lazy River because oh, yeah. Sparkle was just like, if we leave camp without that, oh, yeah. I riot. Absolutely. And so, yeah, we, we, we went there and then, you know, we got home late last night. And we all looked in the mirror and we're like, wow, <laughs> we're all burnt. Crispy. <laughs> Crispy. But Orlando City did you all proud. They won all kinds of recognition awards. They won second for having the tent city set up correctly. We won third in archery. We won first in Bible knowledge oh. and third in geology. I mean, they won a lot That's of awards. Awesome. And I'm sure they're going to give you a full report on all that. But it was really cool. It was just really, really <laughs> 48 hours with no AC, <laughs> and we were all ready to go home. That's the end of that story. All right. So I have to ask, because I was barely able to do the live introductions right. as the online worship host, because there's not a lot of cell signal there, and even worse, Wi-Fi. And I heard that this was also a, a farewell. Yeah. What's that? Wait, what? Can't, 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 <laughs> Yeah, my family and I were getting ready to move to Kansas City. I say we're moving back to Kansas City because Kansas City is where I grew up and I spent fourth grade through my senior year there. My parents lived there for 25 years. Wow. Um, and Greg, actually, that was where he got his first call to ministry out of That's Southern. Right. So right. he had sort of his own time making it his home. So, and then Kansas City is where I met Greg. Kansas City is where Greg and I got married. So we've been away from it for about 15 years now. And so there's a little bit of a homecoming a for pull. us. Yeah. So you each had individual. Yeah. Then together. Correct. Away. Yep. And now back together. Yeah. So the only one that doesn't have a context for Kansas City is Gideon. Gideon. So we're trying to talk him into <laughs> thinking that it's really cool. The good news is I'd already brainwashed him in the first nine years of his life. That to, Kansas City was best. That, that, well, the, the Kansas City Chiefs were the best. And oh, then oh, Patrick yeah, they, Mahomes came along and, and really helped convinced. me out because... <laughs> 
in my lifetime, I've been a Chiefs fan since 1989, and I, you know, have walked through the valley of them being a really horrible football team. And then my son comes along, and here they are, you know, winning playoff games, going to Super Bowls, winning Super Bowls. And I'm like, child, you will never understand the the horrors of having a team not show up for you. So anyway, it does help that we can convince him that— Going to Kansas City means he'll have snow at least part of the year. Going to Kansas City means we're more likely to be able to go to a Chiefs game. Being in Kansas City has a lot of... It has um, its part. A lot to look forward to. So It's not just all about the beach. No, it's not. And Mickey and stuff. Yeah, and all that. And all that. (laughs) No, I, I'm with you. I was, a, yeah, I've been a Packers fan since birth. When you grow, when you, oh. when you actually live, don't tell Greg that he's a Bears fan. I know so you guys, you guys yeah. would never find common ground. There. We didn't, we didn't. We talked about it once, and it, it, we got really ugly. <laughs> we got and really we, heated. We we agreed never to talk again about That's this. Smart. But when That's you are wise. when you are born at St. Vincent Hospital, oh sure, and you live there the first thirty years of your life, sure, fair, right? You know, there's not much you can do, and you, you are not given a choice. The kids these days, like like, do you do you understand what the '70s and '80s and even into the early? I mean, you don't understand. How important you know Brett Favre was good, right? But you just don't understand how good, right? right you know, right. and so like Patrick right. Mahomes, I totally get that. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations, we'll miss Thank you. But you. that is uh, that is cool to kind of make that whole homecoming thing. Yeah. And okay, so I'm going to have to ask then the sure. second follow up question sure. is, I've been at the <laughs> uh, Advent Health. And I've been at the Leadership yeah. Institute. I've run the cameras in the yes, back. I've done different things while you and Craig were leading out these yeah. early people. I miss Craig. Craig was so cool. And so I cool. learned so much just from the guy in the back, yeah. you know, going through the PowerPoints and operating the the behind the scenes. And he was so, so good. Yeah. And you guys had a had a great rapport and, and the people that were in the class had such great things to say. Mm-hmm. So what, what what's next for you? Or are you allowed yeah. to say? I'm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to say being at the Leadership Institute has been just the absolute joy of my life. And I have Randy Hafner to thank for that. He's the one that believed in me and invited me into that space. And then he, along with Sai Saliba, Jim Boyle, Ken Bradley, and just a whole host of- That's a good list of names you just went A whole host of people that I've been able to work with over the last four and five years. It's just been such an amazing opportunity. And I just think that there's a time when- you're ready to learn more and you're ready to take on more. And I was not looking. Nobody was suggesting that it was time time for me to move. Well, I hope, I hope that they weren't subtly suggesting it behind the scenes, but, but I got a call that said, Hey, Gina, are you ready for a new challenge? And I, I first said, absolutely not. Like that does not sound like me. That's not where I want to, that's not where I've envisioned my career going, but the more, you know, the more you leave your heart open to the Lord's leading and the more pieces fall in place, and doors continue to open. So all of that is to say I'm going to Kansas City to be the regional chief people officer for the region of Advent Health that we have there. So I'm not leaving not Advent, Health. Advent Health. Okay. It's just a new chapter. and Chief people officer. What I'm really excited about, so in the last you know, four years for the Leadership Institute and before that I was running leadership development for the corporate office, I've become a specialist. So I've been able to go really deep into one area of expertise and it's been so energizing and so challenging and such an amazing uh, body of work that I've gotten to do. Now I really am curious, how do you couple this leadership development 
strategy that I've worked on honing with the broader people strategy across an entire region. One really exciting thing about the region there is our hospitals are kind of all within the the metropolitan area of Kansas City. We have one up in Wisconsin. Durand. (laughs) Go Durand. But the rest are right there. So we really can go deep in with the community. We're such a big employer there. And to be um, more connected to the schools that we have there, more connected to the community outreach that we have there is a part of what Avent Health does that I've never gotten to learn about. And so I'm re- I just couldn't be more excited more about excited. the new chapter in my well, life. Well, yeah. Terry Shaw, you are now on notice, my friend, <laughs> because if Gina figures out retention <laughs> at the chief people officer position, she's coming for you next. No, because I have no you will interest. Be, you will be hailed as, how do we keep nurses? How do we, how do we, how do we shrink this gap that everyone's going through? If you figure that I out, it's, and I have no doubt you could. Then you know, watch out because it could be Advent Health CEO. No, no, I have no desire to do that. But I have had a couple of quizzical looks when people find out what I'm going to go do because they say, "So you're one of those who runs toward a fire, right?" Because the <laughs> yeah, you're, um, you are running into it. Because in healthcare right now, we're kind of bleeding people, and I'm really curious about kind of what are the levers available and what are things that we haven't ever tried before. Haven't tried, yeah. I'm a I'm an out of the box thinker. I tend to be less of a rule follower, which you don't typically find in the HR space. So anyway, I'm just, I'm, I know I'm going, I know it's going to be serious work to do. I'm really ready to roll up my sleeves. And I think it is really exciting because I already have such a deep passion for that community and for the people and the things there because my history is there. Yeah. I don't have to dig down really deep to say I'm going to care about these problems because I, I already care about them. Yeah. That, so I'm That is awesome. Well, all the best from all of a whole life thank church. Thank you. Uh, on this new well, adventure. A, a big thank you to Ken and the whole uh, pastoral staff. It was so meaningful. Uh, you know, I said yes to preaching before I knew I was going to have really? a different job. Um, and so I was trying to be really subtle about it. I told Tammy, please don't say anything. Like, I don't want this weekend to be about me and Greg. But ultimately, being able to say goodbye to the church in such a beautiful way was real. It was so meaningful to me, so meaningful to Greg. And even Gideon was so excited to jump up on On stage stage, and and be a part of that prayer of blessing. So it was beautiful. And we are all so deeply grateful that you guys uh, took the time to do that. There was so many, there's so many memories. I mean, Greg was all, as far as I know, when we came to Whole Life Church, and even I think since I kind of knew Florida Hospital Church was around, uh, Greg has always been there. So yeah. I never I never knew a version of that sure. without, well, maybe when we first moved. And but he's very a big few. personality. So but he, yeah. he, he shapes a lot of everywhere he goes. And he used to come on the podcast when he preached or yeah. he would be a guest when we needed one. He was always willing to come. And then he would do the old the old theme music with a little TikTok, a little uh, <laughs> timer. And he every time he would do it by himself. So I'm like, well, I don't need to add it. Right. So Greg would do it by himself. So a lot, you got to go back probably about 100 episode since he was last on. To get the Greg Creek experience. But but you can get the Greg Creek. It's worth it. There's a lot of you going through the old catalogs. I see the numbers continue to update. I'm like, (laughs) people are going back all the way there. And so you might run into a Greg Creek episode. Well, again, part of the summer series, and this is the Voices of Whole Life Church, which we do Mm -hmm. every summer. And our theme for the year, of course, is Arise. If you've been around the church, you've seen people wearing T-shirts and hoodies and uh, different things, and it's been a part of what we're doing. It's part of our year-long theme. And so Arise and Wait, and I'm like, Bob, that's something that I think every one of us goes through, because no matter how well you find that people 
well, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a right. lawyer. I'm going to be. Well, yeah, I was going to be a podiatrist, and now I'm a you know I'm a I'm a kids ED doc, or I, I went to become a specialist, and I spent you know how many extra years in school. Mm-hmm. So even sometimes when you know, you don't know, and when and we all kind of understand the difficulty in the journey, but do you believe as Christians that God has a specific calling for each of us, mm. like very? Very specific, like what you end up doing. And also, do you think that changes over time? Well, one, I don't actually think a call and a vocation are either the exact same thing or they're oh, right. mu- or yeah. they're mutually exclusive, right? So, okay. yes, I believe really down to my very core that God intentionally made each one of us, which means that there is a space in this world that only we can fill. And, and that can be... Only we can fill it with our spiritual gifts. Only we can fill it with our gifts to the community. Only we can fill. So I really do believe that that is, but I don't think it's as concrete as many of us think Think it's it's going to be. be. And it's something that I learned back when I was in college and I was faced with a really difficult decision and I went to my mentor and I was was agonizing that there was going to be a decision I made that would take me away from the call of God. And he really clearly said, Gina, if you live in relationship with him, then the call isn't as narrow as you're trying to make it. (laughs) He's calling you to be with him, to be fully alive in him, to find your identity in him. And if you are doing those things, he's going to lead you. And and it's not going to be this agonizing where, you know, and I think— I think some of it was my youth, but some of it was just thinking, if I make a wrong decision, I classified everything in right and wrong. Um, (laughs) And this notion that if we choose wrong, then we will somehow wake up one day, quote, far from the call of God. And I just think if you're worried about that at all, it's probably not going to happen. Because if you're actively pursuing him, who he is, who he's designed you to be, he's going to lead you to the space in this world that needs you most. So yes, I totally believe everyone has a call and we're called to be who God created us to be. Mm. I think sometimes we also get the opportunity to let our vocation be an expression of that call. Love it, yeah. Um, Yeah, But I I don't think I mean, I think in the times where I was, quote, a math teacher, I was still pursuing the call of God. I think that's why I kept filling my non-work hours with things that that I'm like, oh, this isn't this this interest that I have isn't dampening over time. It's not refocusing on something else. And that's I think part of the call. It's the kind part. of iron and sharpening iron, right? Like, right. you know that, like, I know I don't want to continue to do this. Right. So, but this is also like, and somebody asked a really great question on Sabbath, which was, you know, how do you balance the call for family and the call for vocation? And it's like, I don't think you can surgically remove one from the other because a family needs you to be able to provide for it. So so when you're thinking about all the things that you're called to do, um, it's not as crisp and it's not as clean and it's not as black and white as, as people think. think. Yeah. yeah. So yes, to answer your question, everybody has a call, but it's not always a vocational call. I like how you put that out into and kind of and broaden that because I think if we go into it with that narrow of a mindset yeah. – then the long wilderness part is going to feel even longer because it's sure. like, well, why am I still here? And, <laughs> Beating my head against this rock. Right. Yeah, and this, waiting. this yeah. just isn't working. But then I also, I mean, someone who is as successful in the corporate world as you've been and all the hard work that it took to get there. And I, these are the parts of the stories that I love to hear because uh-huh. 
you can resonate with somebody else where they are and where someone would might say, well, you know, they kind of fancy. And it's like, whoa, look at all the hard, you know, look at all the hard work and yeah. it makes you feel. I think it helps us with feeling jealous of where someone else might be because mm. we can resonate with journeys. Sure. But it can also seem like, are there any, un, I don't know if unimportant is the word I want, but any callings that someone might think. Well, that's, that's, I mean, look at how cool Gina's career is. And look at her job. Your job, very, very My cool. Job is super cool. Yeah. It is. It's absolutely cool. And someone who's like, but it's my, not as glamorous as it looks. So. Uh, my, right. But my calling, but yeah, well, my calling was, you know, to be a stay at home mom. Yeah. Or to yeah. be a, a call porter. You yeah. know, a lot of times we're just like, well, I, can't, I can't imagine having to go knock on doors, uh, like cold calling and selling sure. books, right? And then you add the religious component, which we're always a little bit. Are they going to be mad at me if I talk about Jesus? Or, you know, are they going to think that you're the crazy person that, you know, hasn't been on their meds long yeah. enough? Or, you know, and, and we have those those little, like we rank things, like yeah. we rank sin, like, well, yep. but are there any, any, any unimportant, if they come from God, right? They can, right. There can't be one. No, absolutely not. And I think, I think anytime a hierarchy is applied to either a call or to a vocation, because I'm still going to talk about those two concepts separately. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that's. That's a human done thing. Like that is projected <laughs> by us onto yeah. us where we're saying particular kinds of jobs feel more important or seem more important. But that's just because we have to categorize them. And I don't actually think that that's a holy work because I don't think God categorizes things. I don't think he hierarchies things yeah. and says that this work is more important than that work. I think we have layers in our society that do it. I think the secular sector thinks of certain kinds of jobs. Obviously, they think of certain kinds of jobs as more important. But I also think the religious sector does it as well. You know, I sure. grew up with, you know, a father who was a pastor and I ended up marrying a pastor. And I think there's a lot of people who talk about calls almost exclusively within this space of religion, right? Like pastors are really willing to label their movement in their career as I got a call here, I got a call there. And the rest of us tend to not, right? But why is that? And I remember growing up, I don't have any gifts of musical ability. And in high five <laughs> across the table. <laughs> but I think growing up in a church, you yeah. assume that it's it's a mark of greatness when somebody has an upfront ability, like singing or playing a guitar or being a pastor or what have you. And you assume that anything that doesn't fall into those ranks is then less than right. right. I took I took a spiritual gift test one time and it told me I had the gift of hosting and I was like oh no, no. that doesn't feel that important I would <laughs> as agree, I compare though. it to I would agree because you're a great, you've, <laughs> you've done hosting a lot over the years yeah. and it's been yeah you're a great host so they, right. they nailed but, it but I think when you see it in the list as Paul lists all the spiritual gifts no, there's not the one there's those who have preaching and those who have teaching and then there's hosting it's like what I make I make a mean dip like what I don't yeah, know I don't know what, I, what does <laughs> like, that mean what comes with this gift and once again that's us projecting our own high hierarchy onto it on our or our own value system onto it. And I don't think that there's a lot of um, protective value to be had no. of hierarchy and things. Value always yeah. makes us come up short because right. like you said, I mean, I look at your job and go, wow, it's really cool <laughs> because you're like just just the interaction I've had with you uh-huh. at a distance even. And I don't, we didn't even really talk that much. Yeah. I was always in the back. But when you see someone who is mentoring. Right. 
people with a C at the beginning of their title, right. like CEO, CFO, C, you know, chief operating officer, you know, uh-huh. chief exec. I mean, uh-huh. you're you're talking to the boss, right? And they're, I mean, in, in the back, you can see all the body language. You yeah. can see the people that are interacting, the people that for a period might be checked out, and that really wasn't. And again, you and Craig worked as a great team, sure, but. It was always, and again, those people probably already know how to act in certain situations yeah. because they've been around and they know what's what, what's what. Right. But to to see people to be as vulnerable as they were, mm-hmm. to break down in tears in front of colleagues because we're asking you to share situations, and they took it so seriously yeah. and they invested so much of themselves, and it's just kind of like. Wow, that's that's a gift to be able to pull that out of people. So maybe that host part played <laughs> part in the end game as well to have the feeling where people are just like. Yeah. So I think what I'm getting at is a lot of times people will will point out a gift that you have. Sure. You're like, yeah, whoop de doo. You know, like big deal. Like okay. And someone was on the podcast a long, long time ago, uh-huh. and I read a paragraph that they had put up to close. And they were crying mm-hmm. when I was done. And they're like, you read so beautifully. And I'm like, okay, I mean, great, fine. But that, you know, that's like not, what are, what are you going to do with that? What could I possibly do for God because I can read well? I think you're doing it, aren't you? And then you start to, <laughs> right. And then you start to realize that with things. I think, but I think that's what people gloss over, right? right? Anything that feels natural to me or natural to you that somebody else has to point out as a gift that you have is typically where we're going to make the biggest contributions. It's the things that come so second nature to us or that are so natural to us. They have to have been born into us or gifted to us by God when he created us. And sometimes it absolutely does take other people pointing out you are better at this than I think you even realize. You so, yeah. <laughs> and it's in it's right in those moments. And honestly, this is what I think the waiting time is for. It's for us to be in multiple different situations where we notice or have other people notice about us something that, wait a second, I would never have honed in on that. I would have never pulled that out as something that's unique about me. And gosh, when I do, and then I start to say, okay, God, where and how can I use this for you? Oh, my word, he's going to lead you in really exciting ways to say, you know, not my will, but yours. Where are you leading me to next for such a time as this? Like all those things that we talk about so often come from precisely that like piece. space. Yeah. yeah. And the tribe that is going to yeah. be, they give you the, maybe the proper support that yeah. you need. Yeah. That's not going to push you in a direction that God's like, yeah, if I right. give it to you now, this is where you're going with it. And right. I, I don't need that. I need you to wait because this person's going to come into your life. They're not only going to point it out, they're going to become your biggest champion right. to like making that happen. And that, that brought me to like, what if someone hasn't had their Toyota Corolla moment yet? <laughs> and they're just like, you know, I think this might be a calling because people maybe have said like, oh, you know, what about this? What about this? Did you know before that moment, like what you might have had an inkling, but like Mm -hmm. that was the moment. Mm -hmm. 
what facilitated that moment? How did you know that it wasn't just Gina going, you know, I think that would be pretty awesome. I think I'm really good at it. And let's be, <laughs> and let's be honest, I'm a great host. And so if I could do that, you know, think of how good this would be. Or how did you know that that moment was was God sanctioned in your life? I think, you know, those moments are God sanctioned in retrospect, right? Because once again, when I was in that car and I said, oh, this is what I was born to do. That was the thought that I had. This is what I was born to do because it felt like a realization of something that I was. It's sort of the intersection, right, of something that I care about, that the world mm. needs, that I actually think I'm somewhat good at. Because there's a lot of things I care about that the world needs, but that I'm not good at. That's not, or yeah. there's things that I'm good at that the world needs that I don't care about. Or, you know, there's there's yeah. if you get two out of those three. It's not going to go anywhere. But if you find something that is something that you care about, that strikes that passion in you, that you know the world needs more of, and that you have some natural ability or natural talent toward, that is like the fire that gets lit. That gets but I don't know that you can – like in the car, I was like, oh, this is what I was born to do. And then I stared ahead sort of like metaphorically into my life. There is no way – how in the world does a math major ever become someone who can do this, who is fully authorized as a legitimate authority on leadership and organizations? Like there, I was 22 years old. Who's going to call me and say, hey, Gina, can you help us come solve these problems? We would love for you to do Not this. a yeah. single human is ever <laughs> going to do that. And so it was just this sort of you know, uh, it, it felt mythical, right? Like it felt like yeah. unicorns and flying puppy dogs. Like this is, this is, it, it's cute that you like doing this, Gina, but there is no path. And this was the skepticism that I just sort of walk around every day with. Like, I'm just sort of like a, like I'm a very optimistic, warm person, but I'm also a little bit of an Eeyore inside where I'm just like, yeah. oh, well, yeah. well, I'm glad I had this. It was very much because I knew I was coming to the end of the experience and, and this moment really symbolized for me, Wow, I'm so thankful that I had these two years, but I'll probably never feel oh, this like close yeah. to my calling again. And so there was a little bit of a farewell to it in my heart because I I was like, now I'm going to go and live out the more pragmatic life that lays ahead of me. I'm going to I'm going to let go of this magical moment that I had um, and move on. And I think it's only in retrospect where I see the little nudges that God continued to open doors in my life, continue to lead me on his path, that now, 20 years later, it's so much easier for me to say, that was that was a moment Defining. that defined me. And I don't think I knew it at the time. And I don't yeah. think that we ever really know these moments that we would call pivotal when they're happening. Now, some people might totally disagree with me because they had a much more clear insight or they're not as skeptical as I am because in that moment, I just I just wasn't, I don't know, like I just wasn't no. ready. And, I, and that's why I think the story of David is so meaningful to me because I think, you know, it's one thing to be anointed to be king, but then you're right back out with the sheep. And it's like, Cool. I don't know who the Samuel guy was, but like he doesn't really he thinks he has the authority, but Saul's still the one in charge. And I can only imagine that parallel of like me being so clear in one moment and then so 
like skeptical in the next moment and and i wonder how david felt and maybe it's me projecting but i really resonate with his story like you just said like you're knocking my questions out one after the other here (laughs) it's perfect because i want to just touch real quickly because i think you're right i knew early on Uh that i wanted what i wanted to be in life i never like if you asked me after the eh, after the firefighter or whatever stage Uh I wanted to be a disc jockey. Oh. That is what I wanted to do. I used to, re- you know, I'm, I'm really dating myself here, but <laughs> uh, my first music I ever bought was on vinyl oh. um, and used to record, used to call into the radio station, Absolutely. request a song and then record it on your on cassette your, player, on your right? Cassette player, yes. Right? And you have to like pause it and, and then wait. it's, 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 like, it's a perfect, yes, yeah, to get a good mixtape. To tape. get a good mixtape. Yeah. And then even, even younger than that, friends of mine, we would get together at their house and we would do skits. Mm-hmm. On tape, we would do radio stations like we would wait for the radio to play a song and then record it, and then we had these tapes like we were DJs. And in high school, the, you know, what do you want to do? And so for career day, we they let us drive down to the capital in Wisconsin, in Madison, and we went and interviewed the station manager at Z one hundred four, Tom Lockwood. I'll never forget his name. He was so so kind, so nice to us. And his one bit of advice was: if you get an opening to do anything at a radio station, mop the floor pick up paper, copy, mail, you name it, you take the job. And then you let them know that you are interested in being on air. So my first job interview after high school was at a 24-7-365 polka radio station. <laughs> oh, I love that. Right? Isn't that awesome? Like, And I'm just like... <laughs> Uh, so here I, I just am. wish that they made you wear the outfits well, you know, while you were the in the leather hose. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yes. And so here I am. I'm nine. What am I? Nineteen. I just graduated, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm listening to. This is 1990, so I'm listening to 1990 rock, and I'm going to go like a polka, right? And I do a voice test. I do some commercials for them, and like you're going to be on four hours a day, actually spinning vinyl. The other four hours, you're going to be doing commercials, or the other three. And then the other hour, it's maintenance and whatever else you have to do. And I got the job before I left. They're like, you're hired. That was on Wednesday. And on Saturday, they called the house and were like, yeah, the person that was going to take the job in Chicago decided not to leave. So guess what? I can't hire you. Oh, no. And so then for the next how many years, like, it's just like you uh, application, 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 application. Never, ever even got a call back anywhere in, for an interview for anything, any job at a radio station, zilch, and worked how many different trades between right. then and then. And then when podcasting started coming back around yeah. as a similar type of media, and then at kind of being away from church and coming back to church during that time and mm-hmm. having people mentor you and go, you know, we'd really like to have you speak at church and preach a couple times and really enjoyed it and really well received and like, I I could do this and I'm comfortable talking about God. I like talking about God. And then, you know, it it just kind of snowballs and you find that like the best part of your week is doing the podcast here at church every week because it's what you really (laughs) enjoy doing. And yet those, those long times in between, you think, oh, well, one interview, it's like winning the Super Bowl, right? Well, we'll be back next year, right? Right. Like it's going to be, we've done it now. It's easy. Easy peasy. I got hired to do this. And then in the David part where it gets to be so long and you're like, again, I know it. And I had written out just like, you know, all these people that you listed that like, you know, Sarah laughed, Gideon's like, show me twice. Jacob, you know, he's impatient. Jonah takes off the other way. All these different things. But then David, it's like. You have the actual man of God right. touch you, put oil on your head and anoint you. And it's like, all right, see you for 15 years. Right. And that is the hardest thing. And I, and like, 
I hate it when people take the long way around. Like, like <laughs> I feel like I took the long way around to get back to where I'm at. Yeah. What can you do? Because there's like no good advice to give someone that's in that area mm. of their life to just go, you know, again, you said you, I, I, you didn't know it was a pivotal moment. You didn't know yeah. that this would be. And that's the part where I'm always trying to figure out, like, what can we say? What can we what can we tie it to that would just you know a little hope yeah. moving forward for someone that's like i'm dying here yeah. i just i need i need to move forward with something yeah with hope and it's hard to say what those are but well i think honestly if we read the bible um and the stories in the bible in real time we'd notice how much time is actually spent in between in between these like mountaintop experiences because mm. it's years and years. But, you know, when you're first introduced to the story of David, you get it in more like sound bites or a sure, montage. Yeah. Like you imagine, you know, in a movie when they're trying to show the passage of time, but they don't really want to take time. They show you these like clips with like sounds playing or music playing underneath it. And I feel like sometimes that's how we read the Bible. And so we imagine that God is going to be on our timeline or that that it's going to be in a sped up version because that's how we imagine the Bible mm. to be. But the truth is almost everyone in the Bible had to wait in some significant kind of way. And yeah. I think when you actually like I think my my whole goal in sharing the the perspective that I shared is to help people kind of remove those scales and actually see that in the Bible and then see how it's reflected in their own lives and say, gosh, these people in the Bible, David, used the time between so effectively and so patiently. And then we see a lot of stories of people who weren't patient in the waiting and the— The stories are a lot messier. The, I was going to say that the <laughs> downhill spiral that happens when you don't wait on the Lord, That's when you true. don't sit in that. And I don't think it's easy because it's kind of—you know, it's like, like I said, <laughs> I tend to be like Eeyore. So there's, there's times in the waiting period where it just feels like you're sitting in a mud puddle and it's just—it's like, is this really what I've been called to do? Is this why— God knit me together in my mother's womb. He intended me. And I think there's a little bit of you have to slow down, see that waiting reflected in the the broader story that God is writing and say, he has purpose for me here. For this, yeah. And he also has purpose for me in whatever season of life is going to come next. And I think that's, once again, it's easier for me to talk about Sure, yeah. from a point of view where I've spent the last four years literally every day driving to work knowing that I am as close to the call as I can be. But I also think there are, there are many times like David sleeping in the cave or David not even having bread to eat and having to go and be at the mercy of the temple. Uh, the priest, like, yeah. like to me, it's, we don't glory in those stories because they're not mountaintop stories, but I think we need to because sure. they are more reflective of all of our day-to-day -day existence than the soundbite version yeah. of the Bible actually is. So I think I think when we think about what hope can we find in the waiting, it's we'll read the Bible. Yeah. Because the Bible is like I don't want to give it a percentage, but like it's more waiting than we think that it is. Sure. Even the disciples, like they spent their three years with Jesus waiting for his him to set up his kingdom. Like they really thought it was going yeah, to be a completely it. different ending. And they then as soon as he died, they thought he was coming back like a couple days later. And, and so then they waited the rest of their lives for his second coming. But they made 
good use of their waiting. And that's where when I'm waiting, because I think in all of our lives, like even now, I'm I'm really excited to move to Kansas City. But this time between when I said yes, and there's a lot of you know painting that's going on, and it's not really like waiting is never glamorous. Oh, no, and no. I think I think even the people that we imagine, gosh, they are living as close to their calling as possible. Probably some portion of their lives feels more like waiting than it feels like the realization. And I just think if we if we take a little bit of the shine away from the mountaintop, then we can actually shine some light on the waiting and see the waiting as holy and purposeful and God honoring. Yeah. And when we do that, I feel like the 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 mud pile doesn't feel so bad. I would say, okay, I have to depend on God. Right. And I have to look I have to look I have to be honest about who Randy is. Right. Randy's got some problems that God's working on. And when you think like, man, I've made so much progress, and then you wait, and you're like, uh-huh. oh, I bet that job that I just applied for, I bet I'm going to get that one. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, I, oh, I applied. <laughs> no, no. And then- And I, sometimes that hope can actually be an, antithetical to the waiting, yeah, right? Sometimes it can. But it also, I, I, I've learned, again, like you said, it's hard to say looking back. But when you yeah. have those moments, to me now, I look at them as God saying, look, you're good enough. And you have the skills to be what you want to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use those, but I'm not going to do it here because one of them was, look, we're hiring you. You are on the list. All you have to do is on this date, call me. I'm going to put your application in and we're going to take it. And I never heard from them again. Mm. But then I found someone else who worked in that department years later who said that was the most toxic culture you've ever been. You could have never. Absolutely. You would have hated it. Just like you hated the culture where you were at. This was this. You would have been making a move into doing something um, in your vocation that Mm -hmm. you liked better. Mm -hmm. But the but it would have been no different. You would have still just dreaded going to work. You know, I would just say, you know, rely on friends and family that really know you and that have your best that that, that pray for you and that you pray for them. And if you have a Bible study group or a group like that, lean hard on them because so many of the things that they see, they're praying for you and they're like, and they can see what you don't see because they're in their own thick. They need you for that part as well. But you look back and go, everything started to fall into place at the right time. And mm-hmm. then and then you feel pretty good about those years. But in the in the struggle, mm-hmm. it's in the struggle, it's rough. It is. It's absolutely you know, and it's rough. funny, my parents, I think I heard later, I don't think they told me this in real time, but the year that I spent teaching a tiny little school in Vermont, in Vermont yeah. my dad was literally praying for me and talking to everyone that he could because he kept in his mind I was far from where I could be where I should, should be, be yeah. where where gotta love dads um, I know dads and they look dads out for you and I, I remember he would like because he was working at Shawnee Mission Medical Center at the time and he would you know talk to anybody who would listen to him hey is there anything that Gina could do around here because he knew that 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 where I was wasn't where I was meant to be. And I didn't know at the time that that's what he was doing. Yeah. I just thought I was slogging through all by myself out in the middle of the, <laughs> of the five feet of snow that I was that's in. Right. Yeah. Headed to the salt mines. Yeah. Well, and I, I love when you went into what Jesus did between his call and his ministry. Mm-hmm. And every time someone brings that up, it's so reassuring. So I'm just saying, if this is where you're at in your life, mm-hmm. 
Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't tell us anything more Nothing. than that. <laughs> Nothing. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, because you feel picked on sometimes. You yeah. feel like, well, there's a thousand reasons why someone else shouldn't have what they have when sure. we look at it that way. And then you kind of broke those down to wisdom being mental, stature being physical, favor with God and spiritual, and favor with people social. Mm -hmm. And really, you said growing in these four dimensions is holistic growth. It's the abundant life that John 10.10 talks about, the Mm -hmm. good shepherd and his sheep. And my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The in-between tends to help individuals round out their flat spots. And I'm like, aha. So the fact that I had 20 years in the wilderness means I had a lot of flat spots. I know. I'm just like, thinking, how many flat spots did you have? That's accurate. So looking back. Yeah. Do you know what your flat spots were? Sure. And I mean, are they, were they, can you see a correlation between the flat spots and the waiting? Like I, Gina needed to wait because the mm-hmm. flat spots in X, Y, or Z were just weren't conducive to mm-hmm. what you're doing now or what sure. you wanted to do. Do you see a correlation in those? No, yeah, and I would say some of it is going to feel a little more like tangible, and some yeah. of it feels yeah. a little more ethereal, right? So right. once again, looking back, I'm super thankful that I had the periods of my life where my job wasn't as urgent. <laughs> I don't know what oh, to, I don't, okay. during the time where I was teaching math, I would show up and my work would always be contained within the building, right? Like I yeah, would show yeah. up and I would do my work there and I would grade my papers there and I would do it all there. And I would go home and I would be more free to live the rest of the my rest life. Of, yeah. So the things that I spent my time doing, I spent my time running. I got really into my running. I got a lot more into building social connections and learning how to I, it's so funny because I think a lot of us don't know how to build friendships as an adult. And I I spent a lot of time saying, hey, what are you up to? And hey, what are you up to? Because I wasn't feeling super fulfilled at work. Um, I also then at work was learning a lot. And I didn't know it at the time because you're just when you're standing in front of a calculus classroom, you just think my only thing that I'm doing here is taking them from point A to point B of understanding calculus. But now when I actually think about knitting together learning of those C-suite leaders or of those learning environments, I pull from a lot of what I learned in those calculus classrooms. Because when you have – like specifically when you're talking about building a space that is safe for somebody to be vulnerable, you're talking about – A student who feels really dumb because they don't understand something. That's me when it comes to And if they're not willing to raise their hand because they're going to try to bluff to you that they know what they're doing. And you as a teacher have to make it so it's okay for them to ask those questions and say and in front of their peers that they don't really understand that teaches you a lot about how to create the environment mm-hmm. where learning can take place, where, where it's safe to learn, where it's once again, I didn't know that that's what I was learning at the at time. The time yeah. At the same time, like I don't think David thought his time in the cave was like super productive, <laughs> but I think, think so. it, I would argue that it was, that was right. Yeah. Like the, to learn what he needed to learn about not going it alone and not doing it alone. Same thing for me. Like I learned so much, And then I learned a lot internally about how to create my own goals and to say that when work isn't fulfilling 
or as fulfilling as you want it to be, where does the rest of that energy go? And for me, much to Greg's chagrin that I don't do it anymore, like I did a lot of cooking. I did a lot of like thinking about what kind of family we wanted to have, thinking about what kind of future we wanted to have. Um, Now I don't cook anymore. So that's, (laughs) that was wasted talent, but it's okay. I I just, there's so much that you learn or that you round out in the time where you're, muddling through professionally or you're muddling through vacationally. But I also think there's some really practical things. If I had gone right from college or right from that time with Pastor Rich into a job that filled my cup to the brim, I don't think I would have been as open to focusing on a relationship. Like, I don't know if I had met Greg during a time where I was so focused on my career, would there have been enough space in my life to cultivate that relationship? And frankly, that relationship has made me who I am and I couldn't be more grateful. But if I hadn't been a lonely school teacher in Vermont, would I have been, <laughs> would, you have been? Would I have yeah, been as yeah. open to or interested in moving back to Kansas City and in seeing where things might go with this crazy guy called Craig, Greg Creek? So though, so there's really tangible things. I also think some of my early career at Advent Health, I loved it and I learned so much. But if I had been in the Leadership Institute right out of the gate, would I have been in, as interested in starting a family and taking maternity leave? And after I had Gideon, I worked only part-time for two years. And I don't know that I would have been or done all of those space, things yeah. if I had been right from campus ministries into something that had the level of connectivity to myself as the Leadership Institute. So even when I look back, I'm so grateful yeah, because I had time to... I had time to build a relationship that ended up in a lovely partnership, a, a wonderful marriage that I have with Greg. I had time in another part of my career to have a baby and to stay home with my baby for as long as I could before then pivoting into what now can sometimes be an all-consuming Assuming, job sure. that I wouldn't have had time for those other things. And so the family and the life that I have now feels like it needed a little more of the waiting than not. So so Seasons. tangible things that I'm really grateful for, uh, intangible life lessons that I'm really grateful for. But yeah, I think the waiting is much more productive when we stop and notice it and when we stop and celebrate it and we stop and just say, this waiting is giving me something and I may not know it now or appreciate it right now, but let's not rush through it and let's not wish it away because I think many of us just wish it away. Yeah. In, in the seasons that you basically are describing, you're just not ready for things when you're not ready for them. Right. And there's other times when you can wish all you want and you just realize looking back, that was totally wrong. Right. Or you this find thing I thought I wanted. Lot- <laughs> this is not what I want now. <laughs> and you look at it and like when you were talking about your relationship with, with as a family, with mm-hmm. you and Greg individually and together and having time for a family. And, you know, when you find the person that makes you want to have a family. Right. That's something pretty special. Absolutely. And then when you're on the same page, it's like, yeah, I'm going to take time off. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm gonna do this now. Yeah. And then I thank God for my family every day. It's so what you need when you're right. in that part of your life, in that right. stage or that season. So I think we've given people a ton of things <laughs> to, to think about and, and to just approach it and realize those different pieces and parts that they might be in. So 
you know, I thought uh, I thought you handled Ken really well. Q and A. Yeah, Oof, it, uh, you know, <laughs> it can get it can get a little spicy, but it's a little. He kept it tame for me. It's a little difficult on the asking side sometimes too. Uh, sure. You know, and you do that, and so it was. I thought it went well, and we do have a couple that came in after. This is from Raul David Cruz. He said, "How about if what you think your calling is mm. is something that over the years, every time you want to make that move to your calling." Everyone tells you that is not possible and it's not mm. going to work. What do, what do you, you know, maybe you're not sure. You're pretty, you're pretty sure it's what it is. And then people are like, nah, maybe people you trust. That's not, that's not it. Well, I, I do think it depends on who's telling you that because yeah. I, I think it's, I think God talks to us and God shapes us and guides us in a whole bunch of ways, right? Like through reading his word, through our own prayer life and our own meditation, um, but I do think that trusted, reliable counsel from other God-honoring people are really helpful. And so just like you said, you know, there were other people in your life that pointed out to you skills that you wouldn't have noticed. I think that's a part of God's shaping and direction in our life. I don't know that I've ever had that experience where I felt like I was a particular kind of like... I really wish that I could be a really good singer. I really enjoy music. Praise and worship is like my thing, but nobody wants me to sing into a microphone or without a microphone or standing near them. So, but I've always kind of embraced that and I've never fought against it, right? So it's like, I've never had a a time where I wanted, like I believed that God was calling me to something that my godly counsel told me didn't seem like that was my call. So I haven't ever lived in that tension. Because you've had, like your dad was actively, even without uh, yeah, you Yeah, he was actively working on <laughs> my was... behalf when I did not know it. Um, and there are times when I think people have said, like there have been people in my life who have said, Gina, it's a shame you're not a math teacher anymore because we need really good math teachers and well, you are so enough. good at it. And there is a painful part of my heart because absolutely, am I skilled and equipped to explain really complicated math to people 100%. And I still kind of geek out when I get to do it. I'm telling you, fourth grade math, looking forward to it. Like I am the designated math homework (laughs) person in our house. Um, Everywhere I've moved, I've always had the opportunity to do math tutoring. I love it. And they are not wrong when they say, Gina, you are depriving the world of something that it truly needs. And there is this part of me that says, oh, yes, but I never felt, you know, like when I talked about the three things that you need, it's something that the world needs and it's something I'm really good at, but I don't have the passion for it. No, I didn't during the season in life where I was teaching math every day, I never went home and said, I want to get better at this. And there's something that I think we need to tune into because God stirs in our hearts just like he stirs in the hearts of the people around us. So my counsel to somebody who would say, if you continue to try to follow the call that's been placed on your heart, be in tune with all the ways God is moving through his word, through your meditation and through godly counsel. And I think if it's not now, then maybe it's later. And also he might be leading you in a direction that you like Jonah are running away from. Because I think, I think oftentimes the gifts that we have go unnoticed by ourselves and we need godly counsel to teach us, oh, this is what's unique about me. And this is what 
I can do with that for God's service. Or maybe the, you know, maybe the other unique side is a side hustle or something you oh, do yeah. for God. I'm, I totally believe in side hustles. A couple of different authors I've read. It's like I'd never hire anyone in my company that didn't have a side hustle because if they, if you're not, if you're not interested about other things, you're not as well rounded as you should be. Well, and then you're not bringing that interesting insight into what we're doing together. Absolutely. I love that. So I love that a lot. The other question that came in was, how might the waiting time be different for someone who may not have all the resources, whether that be, you know, time, talent or treasure that is precluding them? I think Ken said two or three weeks ago, about thou shalt not steal as we were working our way through the commandments mm-hmm. that, you know, God can just pick up a little gold off the street and, you know, in heaven, you know, he, he doesn't need your money. Yeah. What if you, you just feel like I, I'm, I'm ill-equipped. I don't have a network. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm new where I'm at. And I, I don't have any connections, so yeah. I, I don't know who to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> is that the same advice as kind of, we just went through is just to stay in prayer and, and meet as many people. Maybe like you, you like, hey, I was lonely. I'm working on my people skills, and I may have to just be really uncomfortable and just yeah. go talk to people I don't know. Yeah, I think it's an important reality to get on the table that mm. not everybody has the same access to resources. Not everybody grows up with the same privileges. Absolutely, not everybody has all of that. And I don't think that um, I don't think that that can be understated right so i i think i think it's important for people like myself to acknowledge i have a lot of privilege and i have a lot of access to resources that maybe not everybody does i also think that there's a lot of examples in the bible of people with varying levels of resource and privilege that god still uses in mighty ways and so i think to your point staying grounded in god made me and God is going to see his work fulfilled through me. And my mm. responsibility is to stay connected to him. Because sometimes we see people who follow God go from rags to riches. Sometimes we see people who follow God go from riches to rags. rags. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, there's a, a lovely book um, by C.S. Lewis called A Horse and His Boy. And mm. it's a it's a book I read a long time ago. And I don't really remember all of the nuances of it, but there's one particular part that I continue to return to or that that shows up thematically in my life over and over again. And that's at the very end when um, someone is explaining to the boy all the points in time that he was guided along his journey. And then he asks a question about somebody else who he met along the way. Yeah. And he said, what's going on with her? And the wise person was responded by saying, I am telling you your story I am not telling you hers. Each of us can only know our own story. I think one that teaches me to not compare, to not try to live up to somebody else's walk or story or narrative. Mm. And I'm responsible for my own. That's a tough one. Um, And I, I do think that that calls people who are in positions of power and places where they have privilege to be aware of that. And then to say, what can I do to build up other voices and build up other people? Um, But the waiting, the waiting is something that I actually think, happens to us all it's sort of that universal experience that if you if you would be willing to from whatever place you are in life to open up with somebody else to say 
wow, this is what my waiting has been like. What's your waiting been like? I think you would find a lot of similar humanity in the stories that we share with each other, which is why I think it's such a compelling way to read the Bible because you're going to find so much more of your own story in there if you look for people and places that included waiting. And I think that we can't underestimate the idea of community where we're creating the community where if I know Gina personally, then she might see something in me where, wow, I have a perfect resource. There's someone looking for something just like you. Or, you know, I read just like the book. I read the book and it it keeps coming back to me. It reminds me. Or this. And so I I love the podcast uh, as a medium in the way that people will say, just like a book, oh, you know what? I had this. If you're like me, you have a ton of episodes saved in your podcast player (laughs) that when I read something on someone's timeline or I'm on whatever social media or I'm having a conversation and someone says, oh, man, I'm really feeling like this, this, or this, or I'd really like to know more about this. Like, oh, I have an episode that would be really good. Let me send this to you. Let me send this to you. And so I'm sorry if I overshare, but that <laughs> I, I places that we find comfort sometimes yeah. when you feel a connection, you go, they might have that same, yeah. that same thing. And I think the more we're together, and I love that Ken has just constantly refers to us as family, it makes you just feel a little bit more like we are family. Sure. And I think those connections are crucial. And so- Thank you for your message. Thank you for taking the time on a holiday to come in. And I, I want to get to one of the, our whole life reflections asked, what are you doing right now to grow mentally, physically, spiritually, mm-hmm. and socially? And if you look at each one of those, someone might go, eh, mentally, I can do that one. Kind of by my, uh, physically, yeah, I should probably do that. Spiritually, ooh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really. And then, and socially, more. And maybe more now than ever, we seem so divided on so many yeah. different things. And socially might be the toughest one. I can do those other three kind mm-hmm. of in private, but the socially kind of requires by definition that I am out in some form. Yeah. And I would suggest not social media as I would no. count that as a very small part <laughs> of your social prerequisite. But to do those and just to be thinking about that. So I thought that was really poignant for us going to this week, but Mm -hmm. let us know by voicemail or text if we've missed anything, something we said, something we didn't say, something we should have said, 407-965-1607 or podcast at wholelife.church. If you send a text message, I won't know who you are. You can send those in anonymously because there is no contact list associated with that number. By email, well, make up a crazy email, and I won't know who you are either. But we would love to read your comments and uh, share them on next week's episodes. And one of the final things that she said in her message this week was, the calling is sometimes followed by waiting. And I believe that's exactly where God wants us to be. And I thought if we would just internalize that a little bit and just go, yeah, it's probably going to be followed by some waiting, we will together wish Craig and Gina a great send off as we go. All right. Next week, we are wrapping up with number 10, our 10th commitment, and it's Arise to Love at Work, where the grass is always greener. I think this is going to somehow follow. Sounds like it's pretty easy when you're in the uh, in the wilderness part for the other side to look pretty yeah. green and comparatively green with envy, maybe. Mm, something to think about for next week. <laughs> One more thing. 
please share this episode. There's no more fun than the summer series when people write in or send emails or send text messages and go, I don't go to your church, but I know so-and-so who knows so-and-so. And they sent me the text and you guys, you know, and they love the message. So this is the summer series. If there's ever ones you wanted to share, it is a summer series. And this was a great message and a great podcast. So you can share both Speaking of Grace and This Is Whole Life. And, and they're available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So thanks for listening and have a great week. I had that experience or I, I thought this was it. Maybe it's not it. And now I'm confused and I'm, you know, I was a financial advisor <laughs> for retirement That's your savings. version of my actuarial company, right? Whoa. Like you, you just have to wade through it. Two six-year stints with a couple in between and yeah. each of after six months, it was barf. Yeah. Like, I just didn't want to be there. I know. It was horrible. Yeah. And when you said that story, I'm like, lots of numbers, <laughs> people, people. You, know. you were yeah. like, same, Gina. Yes, same. Gina. Yes, we same. have we have this connection now. Yes. Right. Oh.